All right, my friends, it's Dr. Anthony Balduzzi, and I want to welcome you back to another episode here on the Fit Father Project and the Fit Mother Project podcast. Today, we're joined by guest expert Joshua Cameron, who is an elite trained master healer whose purpose is to help heal those who've been living with chronic debilitating pain and help them find relief and just have a life that's filled with joy, gratitude, renewed energy. And as we're going to hear in this episode, Joshua has developed a gift that has helped heal many of his clients from chronic pain due to spinal issues, arthritis, heart conditions, and all sorts of different related pains that are not just necessarily a physical origin, but as we're going to hear in Joshua's story and what he's going to share with us, oftentimes have an emotional or even spiritual basis. Um, we're going to hear about Joshua's story of overcoming his own pain and how what led him to this deep work, as well as how we are so interconnected as beings, where we're not just physical structures, we're also mental and emotional structures, and how toxic memories, unforgiven relationships, and all these things can manifest in our bodies and lives as pain. So Joshua, thanks for coming on today and being a strong messenger for this powerful conversation that will expand many minds and hopefully bring people into a state of less pain and more abundance and joy in their bodies. Well, uh, thanks for holding the space. I feel pretty awesome after that uh, introduction. So, uh, you know, thank you for that. And uh, happy to serve and, you know, love to, to help out and really, you know, help uh, enlighten and see that, you know, there are other ways to be able to find what it is that we're looking for. But uh, so often, at least in my story, and we can certainly get into it, you know, I found that I was so focused on my logical mind, on my left brain, that the second that a thought would come into my my sphere that didn't make sense, I reverted immediately to the toddler that doesn't want to try their vegetables that they never that they've never even tried before. Yeah, I don't like those. Well, how do you know? Because oh, I know that I don't like them. How do I know I don't like this thought? Well, because it's not logical. And um, yeah, so I've learned to like, get past that. And as Niels Bohr said, if you're familiar with the famous physicist Niels Bohr, mm -hmm. you know he uh, his son actually was writing to him, right? Niels Bohr, for those who don't know. It's one of the foundational scientists in quantum mechanics. His son was writing to him about physics and just how, how much of a quandary it was for him. And Niels Bohr made such a fascinating comment. He said, you're not, you're not thinking, mm -hmm. you're only being logical. So tell me how that, how that exactly relates to people's, the way most people experience and relate to pain. Mm. Like maybe we start in the physical, physical aspect of this. Like my elbow hurts. I have a bad knee. I have a bad shoulder. This happened to me. Like how does that framework of what you just described play in the, in the realm of pain? Sure. Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, I spent, you know, four years as a combat medic in the army, spent uh, more years in uh, pediatric medical research and then data analysis. And, you know, if we hurt our elbow, you know, let's say that we go to the hospital, well, what are they going to do? You know, if it's not broken, well, chances are what they're going to do is they're going to give us a pill, which just amass the pain. Um, now, what we might also find is that we hurt our elbow and then we start being like, oh, my dang elbow, all oh, that stupid elbow. Oh, I can't believe this dumb elbow. Oh, my gosh. Well, yeah, I believe it was Stanford that did a, a study on just the you know, electrical power of the mind and then electrical power of words. And, you know, everything is energy. In fact, again, Niels Bohr said everything that we can that we call real is made up of things that cannot be considered real. You know, Einstein said that everything is energy. And when we're putting that energy out and usually we shove it down, right? We're told to hold it in. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, there's different dimensions, right? You've got the body dimension, you got the mind dimension, then you got the spiritual dimension. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're a whole, if you're pushing it down and you're holding it in, well, guess where that goes? And as Bezel van der Kolk wrote, the body keeps the score. 
And so we might find that we banged our elbow and that caused an acute, you know, traumatic experience. Like, oh my gosh, my elbow really sucks right now. But the way that we speak about it and the way that we speak about ourselves and our belief and the way that we see ourselves, well, when we beat ourselves up, doesn't it kind of make sense that our body would start to break down over time? Yeah, it really does. And it almost like even just seems like this extended metaphor of how as many of us get older, we become more stiff and more rigid. And like physically, there's that physical manifestation of that through tissues that don't glide and slide as well, not as much blood flow, but also like just the story patterns that we say about certain things in our lives get that much more crystallized into like stuck pattern. And then you start to actually believe that. And now you just can't move past that. Whereas I think if you look at a young baby or a toddler, they're like, they're fluid, everything's new and moving and they don't have this crystallized self identity and their tissues are very open. So it's like, man, there seems like to be sign telltale signposts of youth and adaptability. And then also of being stuck and rigid, which often manifests as pain, Mm -hmm. emotional or physical. You know, what I love about what you just said there is there's a, uh, there's a verse in the Tao Te Ching that is very near and dear to my heart. And it's really helped me understand my own path, you know, out of, you know, chronic pain in my mind, you know, PTSD, you know, childhood trauma, as well as the way it was manifesting in my body. But it's this, it goes, uh, when a man is born, he's soft and supple. When a plant is born, it's soft and, pli- it's, uh, it's, uh, soft and pliable. And when a man dies, he's stiff and rigid. When a plant dies, it's dry and brittle. Therefore, those who are stiff and inflexible are disciples of death. And those who are soft and and uh, flexible are disciples of life. It doesn't mean good. doesn't mean bad. It just means that you're inviting death into 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 your sphere or life into your sphere. And it's, you know, the Tao is all about finding a flow state. Mm-hmm. And if you think about that, well, if, as Einstein said, everything is energy. Well, you know, do we have any reference points to something that is pure energy? Well, water, mm-hmm. right? There's my water bottle right here. And so water is nothing but hydrogen and oxygen. Well, if water quits flowing, well, it starts to stagnate. Mm-hmm. Well, what's attractive to stagnating water? Well, parasites, yeah. mosquitoes, bacteria, viruses, uh, things that either drain the lifeblood or poison the lifeblood. Mm-hmm. And, you know, okay, well, then we can see that in the material world. But what about, you know, the, the, the mind, the dimension of the mind? Well, as an American... It's very easy to see, you know, the uh, underplayings of a mind virus, mm-hmm. uh, and all you have to do is go into a room, especially with multiple people, and it's, it's, it's sad when they like each other at first. Yeah. But you only have to say one of three names. You don't have to say anything else. You don't have to give any context. Just walk in and say Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, or Donald Trump, and immediately people will be, act like they just got possessed by an agent of the Matrix. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they're stiff and rigid yeah. in exactly what they know. Oh, I know that my ideas are right. I've never held office. I've, I've never run a political campaign. I, I've, I've never had this sort of responsibility, but I certainly know. I know for a fact, and I'm rigid about it, and I will scream at you. Again, just inviting that death. Mm-hmm. Well, and when it comes to the spiritual level, right, and, the, and you know, this is just a map that I'm creating, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, the meaningful part of that is if you think of GPS, mm-hmm. right? When I pull up GPS to get to a destination, I'm not driving on the GPS. The GPS is a meaningful representation of the roads that I'm driving yep. on. And so when we get to the spiritual realm, well, then we also have these, you know, spiritual viruses, these spiritual parasites, these spiritual mosquitoes. And when we have those afflicting the, uh, the soul, right, afflicting the spiritual realm, well, as hermetic philosophy says, you know, as above, so below. So when the life force is being drained, well, then everything else cascading down is going to fall apart as a natural consequence. But when the life force is at full power, 
well, then everything below is going to, you know, also uh, heal as a natural mm-hmm. consequence. Now, like to stay into to stay into like what a spiritual parasite like is, is this a, is this is this what we call like a like an influence, like a, a nudge, something that is that is calling us into a certain behavior the thing that brings us back into a pattern of old addiction? Like, is it something that we still need to consciously interface with? Is it more of like a pressure? Like, how do we, like, where does the personal sovereignty come into this? Because I believe there's like external force, forces that are putting pressure on us. At the same time, we are these sentient uh, beings that have the ability to perceive and then choose. Hey. So how does that kind of play into this this map that we're painting here? Uh, such a great question. And uh so I like to look at these things as egregores. Are you familiar with that word, egregore? I actually have heard the word, but I'd love you for you to explain it, yeah. Yeah, it, it's a it's a non-corporeal or non-physical entity. And so, you know, like you said, kind of some sort of maybe negative field, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, is it a, you know, what some people might call a demon? Hey, I don't know, right? Again, you know, I, that's above my pay grade. Yeah. yeah. I don't know the truth of the capital T. But imagine you're driving on the road, something that a lot of people do. Somebody cuts you off. Right. Yeah. You were paying You know, you were minding your own business. Somebody, you know, radically cuts you off. Um, you honk their, your horn. And then what do they do? They stick their hand out the window and they flip you off. Yeah. And then w- what happens? Yeah. You, you probably catch your breath. You're, you start breathing a little bit faster. Your heart rate starts going. And then you start, you know, you, you might even get in this cat and mouse where you're trying to pull ahead of them and slam on your brakes. And it gets a little, well, because that egregore just wants to be fed. It does not matter does not care who gets brought into that field. And it's just like, you know, a, a pendulum, right? So say a pendulum is coming through and it bumps into you. Well, if it bumps into you, what most people do in that case is they grab it and they shove it even harder. Yeah. Well, if they shove it even harder, what is the only possible response for a pendulum to do in that case? To swing right back. To swing right back even harder and hit you. Yeah. And so the more that you escalate, the more you're getting drawn into like a whirlpool of these emotions and you get caught up in it and it gets its... Uh, it, you know, it's claws into you. And so the best thing that you can do is when you see something like that, wake up, Yep. wake up, realize something is trying to drain your energy, right? And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who it's not good. You know, you're not a matter of, you know, moralizing good or bad. Certainly it might have a negative influence over us. Sure. But mm-hmm. it's just the nature of what that egregore is. Yep. And, you know, if we then can understand that that person cut us off, not because they were a bad person, but because they were also under the influence of this egregore because they're sleeping awake effectively. Mm-hmm. And so when you wake up, well, then that's when you have the power to like, oh, okay, I choose where I put my energy. I choose how I respond instead of just instinctively reacting in some sort of, you know, midbrain or rear brain yeah. where I immediately go into fight or flight. And that's where the sovereignty comes in, yeah. in the becoming aware and choosing. Yeah. And I think just that concept applies everywhere. It applies late night you have the craving for some kind of food after dinner that you don't want to be having like there's an opportunity to become awake and to choose obviously the field on the road is is a, is a really great example i want to kind of get into this conversation through like the personal lens of your story because i do want to talk about how these loops of trauma whether it's a traumatic experience it becomes internalized shows up as pain but also habitual patterns. And I think it'd be really nice to kind of dive a little more into your background and personal story, especially now that people know a little bit of what you shared and you have some interesting, you've read a lot and you have some really interesting ideas. It'd be cool to kind of like start to tie it together through a little bit of your life journey 
and how you started to unwind it come to some of these realizations and unwind some of this pain in your own body. And then from there, I kind of want to take the conversation into exploring the connection between the physical manifestations of pain and all these other forces that we've been talking about. Mm, okay. Well, I, yeah, I love the opportunity. Now, um, I, uh, you know, have been incredibly hard headed, so <laughs> it was a long and painful path. Uh, but you know, I want people to, you know, as I'm telling this story, I, I want people to consider another map, you know, a, a map that can serve us. And it's something that I was raised with and I scoffed at, you know, most of my life. I was raised as a secular kid here in Utah. And, you know, there's an idea that the LDS have that they believe that their spirits up in heaven looking down saying, hey, that's going to be my family. I'm going to be born to that family. And, you know, as I relay my story, you know, I want you to consider, you know, why would I have chosen this path? And have the answer be, well, because I was ready for these, you know, for these lessons. And if you think of your life like that, if you've had, you know, personal trauma, you've had childhood abuse, like I'll, I'll get into, I think if you look at it that way, like I chose this path so I can learn these lessons and become a stronger person. I can't think of a more psychologically, you know, strong way of looking at the world. But in my, you know, in my childhood, right, my you know, pretty typical, I was two, uh, one of three boys. And, you know, dad you know, divorced my mom and you know, he ended up getting remarried pretty quick. And I saw him maybe, you know, once a year or so, once or twice a year. And so he's pretty checked out. Uh, my mom got remarried, but she you know, was you know, drowning at the bottom of the bottle. And the person that she remarried, well, the biggest lesson I learned is the Tyrannosaur doesn't see you if you don't move. And so this guy was a rage monster. And so the, he, you know, as soon as he would start drinking, then the gamma rays, just like Hulk, would start really flaring. And just over stupid things, right? Uh, you know, if you were told to vacuum and come in, hey, did you vacuum? And what was the natural response of a kid when you yell at them? Immediately be like, hey, it wasn't me. I'm not in trouble. Yes, of course I did. And then so what he'd do is he'd take you into the room and beat you purple for 10 minutes. Just beat the crap out because he was drunk and he had no, he had no way of, of regulating that, that response and just would go crazy. And, um, and yeah, I mean, now would get arrested, but this was in the 80s. And so a lot of unfortunate things happened then. And well, it, I was around uh, a lot of, uh, you know, like my grandpa, for instance, was big into the tarot and astrology. And then, uh, well, he'd tell me all these, you know, crazy uh, supernatural stories about demons and uh, how he'd be in Brazil digging for gold and there'd be these big fire breathing demons. And so that was real hard for me because when I close my eyes, well, then I have all these thoughts of my grandpa telling me these things. And then when I open my eyes, well, then there's a rage monster. And then the, you know, what I learned again, the Tyrannosaur can't see you if you don't move. Well, then that response blew up epically in my face when I went to school because guess who gets picked on? Well, the shy kids who don't stand up for themselves. Right. And so it was just torment, eyes open, torments, eyes closed. And uh, so eventually I you know, joined the army at 19, and it, which was a result of me not being able to trust myself. And what I mean by that is you know, everything that I did will felt wrong because I tried to survive at home and it seemed to at least work there, but I tried to do it at, at, at school and then it blew up. I didn't understand that I needed to be different people in different, in different settings. And then when people ask me, Hey, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, I tell them, they said, well, that's dumb. Why, why would you want to do that? Don't you think that you should do what I think that you should do? And since I put them on a pedestal, then it trained me to think that, Oh, well, I've now cataloged all this evidence that if it comes from within, it comes from my intuition, well, then it's stupid. Hmm. So the second that it, that it comes from my intuition, then I would just go ahead and alienate it and then ask other people, hey, who am I? Yeah. Rather than go within. And 
So joining the army was a matter of, hey, what do you want to do when you grow up, Josh? Join the army. What do you want to do when you grow up? Join the army. What do you want to do when you grow up? Join the army. And I didn't want to feel like a loser. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll join the army, right? My brother was in the army at the time. His uh, wife was in the army at the time. I was living with them. And it wasn't necessarily bad for me, but again, just developed another cycle of trauma. Yeah. March of 2001, we received orders uh, to go to our first war zone on uh, September 19th of 2001. Because uh, what, what could have happened in September of 2001? Mm-hmm. And you know, for eight days leading up to that, the you know, powers that be had CNN on repeat for eight days, just CNN constantly talking about constantly the visualizations of just the, the plane crash. So then, you know, I, I felt trapped and I felt scared much the same way I felt as a kid, because again, I, I didn't know how to heal that, that scared little boy. So now that scared little boy is a, is, is a man that has, that has the maturity of, of a traumatized child. So then, well, okay, well, how do I deal with this? And, you know, later on, I you know, went to, you know, Kuwait and Iraq uh, and uh, Qatar and you know, when I came back from there, right, I later, you know, well, I met a lady who fell in love with right before I deployed to the Middle East. And when I came back, I could feel that I was a different person, but I couldn't put my finger on it. And I felt like a shadow and I, I lived life like a shadow and eventually ruined that relationship. And it, it was at that point that life started kind of falling apart that I realized I, I couldn't keep going on the way that I was going on. I didn't quite figure out my path to healing, but I started I started figuring out that there was a path for me to follow, even if I didn't understand cognitively that I was following it. And, uh, you know, how that occurred was, you know, shortly after, you know, separating and, you know, she telling me that, you know, it's over. You know, I, uh, you know, getting out of the shower in the morning, I have full body mirror, and I was just looking in the mirror at every, you know, every pockmark, every mole, every freckle, everything that I, I may not, you know, necessarily like about myself. I had this intuitive sense. So I'm starting to open myself up to my intuition, this intuitive sense that I should look in the mirror long enough for me to be able to smile at everything that I see and everything that I feel. And so it took about a half hour of me doing that. Like I just sat there staring. It took quite a while and, you know, lots of tears. And that was, that was a way for me to understand that, okay, well, there is a way for me to then make friends with my intuition but it wasn't until probably about 15 years later that i was able to um you know maybe it wasn't quite that long but uh for me to to fully embrace a path of healing that also catapulted me into it through well more trauma i work in a pediatric hospital in the middle of a pandemic and you know i felt so good about my purpose and what i was doing right uh that you know when i came from pediatric medical research i was part of perhaps the largest longitudinal study in the country, which is the ECHO, Environmental Influences in Child Health Outcomes. And then I went into data analytics where I'm helping all the, all the tertiary clinics and all the chiefs of, you know, neurology, pulmonology, you know, rheumatology. And I'm working, you know, hand in hand with the uh, director of, uh, of ambulatory services. And then the pandemic happens, like, wait a minute, this is, this is so much more political than I ever thought it was. It's like, and so it, it kind of crushed me a bit. And the anchor that I had you know, really grounding me, well, kind of uprooted. That was a bit of a tailspin. And, you know, in this tailspin, well, when the pandemic happened, well, I was, you know, married again for the second time. And wife and I are you know, both good people. But we brought out the worst in each other. And so I decided, you know what? What I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to be the bigger man. Uh, I'm going to separate and you know, buy my own place and... Let's figure out how we can not just be good people, but also be good parents, right? Because we've got a little boy. 
And so that way he's not caught up in this cycle of trauma of two people who just bring out the worst in each other. And that's all he sees and calls that normal. Well, first day of moving out, well, apparently what I realized is I moved right above a tweaker and he would shake my floor at about 80 degrees like just, or 80, 80 decibels, just constantly shaking. And, you know, police couldn't help me. The HOA wouldn't help me. And so I dealt with that for months and months and months. And it, I had a bit of a, of a break. And it was at that point that I tuned into different resources and we can get into that. But I, I eventually asked myself the question, you know, from, from the perspective of an atheist uh, and an agnostic, is there room for God in my life? And not God of Christianity or God of Catholicism or God of, you know, of whatever religion, but God that Joshua Cameron is okay with. Is there room for God in my life? Within two weeks, I got a vision and I was pumped in my head and I couldn't help but investigate it. And by doing that, it, it radically changed my life. Well, I mean, I want to hear if you're open to sharing, if it's not too personal about the vision, like this turn seems like a really important part of your life. So please, please do share that if you're willing to. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, so I started tuning into Jordan Peterson first. And if you're familiar, Jordan P Peterson, the uh, Canadian psychologist, and he was breaking down uh, the book of Genesis and secularizing it. And the second that he said, hey, we're not supposed to be taking this literally, right? This is, these are oral cultures, right? These are oral traditions that are now just barely being able to write this stuff down. So of course it's fragmented and of course it's, you know, it, it doesn't make sense literally because it's never meant to be taken literally, right? Because deep wisdom is shared through metaphors and through analogies. And immediately I saw the, I saw the brilliance in that. And that's what led me to that question, you know, hey, you know, is there room for God in my life? And the vision I had was a podium. And by looking at that podium, I knew that I was supposed to be on the business end of that, addressing a congregation. And I knew here in Utah, that meant I was supposed to be in a, uh, a Mormon church. But, you know, the question there is, do I, do I just walk into a church and like, hey guys, <laughs> I know that I'm not a believer, but uh, I got a vision pumped in my head from heaven that says I'm supposed to be, you know, addressing y'all. And so it sounded crazy to me, uh, but I, could, I couldn't help but start asking questions of my friends who grew up in you know, LDS tradition and come to find out something that I didn't, that I wasn't aware of, but my soul was, that uh, every first Sunday of every month, there's what's called the fast and testimonial meeting where anybody who shows up, anybody, anybody who shows up can go and address the congregation. And the first, first time was more of a, hey, thank you so much for having me here. I, I really feel like I was, I, you know, led here for a reason. Really appreciate, you know, the space that you hold. And the second time was about how I felt, you know, love is, you know, stronger than hate. And this is why. And in an editorialized fashion, right, I've got multiple editorials and letters to the editor that have been published in the largest newspapers here in Utah. So I'm a bit of a writing nerd, and that's kind of the, the structure that I feel most comfortable with. And by the third time, again, I'm leaning it hard in Jordan Peterson. He said, probably the best thing that we can do for ourselves is to create the highest ideal of goodness of which we can conceive and then make ourselves worthy of it. He's like, all right, I'm game. And so what I came up with was uh, Gandalf, right? Gandalf from Lord of the Rings, but not the Gandalf who went to the mines of Moria to fight off the Balrog, who he never wanted to go and, and face in the first place. Or the Gandalf that had to face off against the Witch King, uh, which, again, terrified him. He wanted nothing to do with but the Gandalf who saw value in who nobody else saw value in. He saw value in the hobbits, not because they're building giant castles, because they're not. They're not building giant armies. They're not building grand roads. They've got more of love and more sense of community than anybody else on Middle Earth. And if it weren't for Gandalf's vision and his knowledge of that, the world would have burned. And that was my highest ideal of goodness. And so... You know, in when as I'm going to these churches, right? Uh, it's so often that you'll hear, you know, the LDS. They'll stand up and say, "Brothers and sisters, I know in my heart 
that Joseph Smith is the one true prophet of God. And I know in my heart that the Book of Mormon is the one true word of God. And somebody will stand up and say something after them that's near exactly the same thing. And the next person will say near exactly the same thing, which could have easily been a way for me to say, look at these silly people. They don't even know what they think. But instead, the game I was playing was, well, this is probably their highest ideal of goodness, which they can conceive. Well, what's mine? Oh, well, I know what mine is. And I doubled down. And so I just kept reminding myself of Gandalf and be, and the point of not just articulating what is your highest ideal of goodness, but do it in such a way that you become worthy of it by becoming it. And within six months, I, I met my master or my uh, mentor who uh, tra uh, trained me all within consciousness, you know, how neuroscience, physics, and psychology really do get down to uh, the understanding of the non-physical is actually what controls the physical. Right. Again, what Niels Bohr said, everything that that we call real is made up of things that cannot be considered real because it's non-physical, the metaphysical, which is above physics. And uh, within two to three months after that is when I met the healing master who taught me how to heal. And who is Gandalf? Well, he's somebody with ancient knowledge. Well, so here's the, you know, Peter Sage, who's teaching me all about, you know, ancient, you know, Buddhist philosophies and how they harmonize with, you know, modern physics. And then, you know, who else is Gandalf? Well, he's somebody magical. Well, then here comes this, you know, this, you know, healing master, Ed Strasher, who then says, well, what if I could show you a realm of physics that most people don't even know are real? That's really powerful. And I, I think it's, it's, it's very full circle too, because this whole journey for you, one, having the humility to receive God in your life in the way that you could conceive it was the intuitive path back in that was the full healing of the suppression of your intuition early on. And now it's kind of flowing out through you in the realm of like more exploration, learning, and, and of course service Yeah. and also standing forward and externalizing and speaking your truth. And I'm also reflecting too. I think we, we all have this call in our soul to have like an integrated life. And it's like, what is within us that feels true that we're able to like embody that and express that. So there's a becoming that you describe to become worthy of the ideal. And I think like a health and fitness journey in some sense is also becoming worthy of this inner ideal that we all hold that like, we have this ideal that we could feel great, that we could feel, have some sense of like sovereignty and being free from these habits that trap us, that we could feel like we're living in our highest alignment. And it's just amazing how this all comes together. I, I have many things I want to ask you in the back part of this conversation. And one is specifically about the mind. And specifically about, I think many people are sitting here and they maybe don't have a lot of direct experience with any of these more esoteric practices. Maybe someone prays, maybe they feel like they find some meditation or a meditative state when they're outside tending their garden or going for a run. What I found in my life is it's been one of the most profound things to learn to get to the process of quieting the mind and understanding myself beyond the mental chatter. I mean, it's, it's essential to healing as in my understanding is to, to one, cultivate a more quiet mind. So when people say meditate and they say, sit and quiet the mind, let's just speak into this, this whole process and maybe even what you went through in terms of what you realized, but also maybe what you might counsel someone who is like, I would love to have a, an experience of mind that is far less chattery, far more peaceful and connected. And I know there's something I can do and practice, but how do I get there? Mm, yeah, that's great. That's, that's such a good question. And, um, well with the mental chatter, you know, first, you know, the reason why 
meditation is so powerful is because when you start to meditate, you'll eventually realize that turning off thoughts is just not possible. It's just not possible, right? The, the brain is so good at processing thoughts. In fact, that's what it does, you know, and, and that's what we've trained it to do, that it's going to continue doing that. And so the point isn't to use thoughts to control thoughts because that which you bring energy to is you're going to energize, which means that you're just going to be chasing your tail. Mm -hmm. The point is to separate yourself from those thoughts and observe them. Mm -hmm. You're an observer of your thoughts, just like uh, you're looking out a, you know, a great way of looking at this is when you meditate and you close your eyes, imagine that there's a great bay window that you're looking out and see what you want to see. Feel, more importantly, feel what you want to, what you want to see, right? Why? Well, because feelings are the tap into the non-physical mm -hmm. and the great mystic Neville Goddard, right? Talked about how feeling is the secret. Yeah. And if you, if you read the Bible in the way that Neville Goddard talks about the Bible, well, then you'll really start to understand how, how they actually reference that. And when you, you know, quiet the mind, right? I, I liken this idea. And I, again, uh, you know, I see the path of my life in the way that Steve Jobs said that you can't really connect the dots until looking mm -hmm. back. Well, there's so many reference points now, right? I had spirituality all around me as a kid, yeah. but there was so much darkness that, you know, that I was so afraid of it. But then once I was ready for it, I could look back and be like, oh, that's why it was there to show me so many reference points. So when I was ready to step in, I could really just, you know, fling myself in. Mm -hmm. But there was this idea that I got when I was in data analytics that you've got to quiet the noise to increase the signal. Right. And when I started exploring that idea, I started exploring a little bit more on, okay, well, if the noise is where, you know, or, or the noise lives here in the mind, well, noise is also full of details. And where do we say the devil lives? In the details. In the details. And so where do we think that the matrix might literally quite be? Yeah, no tra trapping us on all these details, these, these things that we've connected, this, this artificial story, the bings of these impressions that we've attached ourselves to, the things that we think are ourselves, but maybe just aren't when we observe them. Right, exactly. And w what I've learned, and yeah, again, things that you know, Neville Goddard talks about, and yeah, anyone who is a true master of manifestation, uh, that when you get to that place where you can quiet the noise and increase the signal, you'll find that the universe is reflective, right? The, the Gnostics and the mystics you know, throughout time have called this world Maya, the great illusion. They said that when we are here alive in our, in our bodies, this is the dream. And the, why is this a dream? Well, you know, if you think of God in the sense of the way that Dolores Cannon, I don't know if you ever heard of Dolores Cannon, but the way she talks about it is think of just this giant, amazing, radiant amalgam of light. Mm -hmm. And think of the tiniest little fragment of light breaks off of that, and that's your soul. And as Rumi, you know, the great, you know, what, 14th century mystic said that you aren't the, you know, you aren't a drop in the ocean. You're the ocean in a drop. Mm -hmm. And since we live in a world where that's made up of things that aren't real, and we know through physics that everything that we call physical matter reality is nothing more than collapsed light. Yeah. Well, then that means that we likely live in some form of a hologram. And that means that we're probably projecting onto that hologram, onto the substrate from the non-physical. And so when you start to feel what it is that you want as if the wish were already fulfilled, you'll see things come into your life. Uh, not so much like you can just sit on a couch and meditate and become a millionaire while doing nothing, but more in the sense of, say you are center fielder 
uh, playing baseball, mm-hmm. right? Then somebody cracks cracks a ball and it comes towards you. You still have to run towards that ball and position yourself to catch it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, that ball is going to fall on the ground and that person is going to run the bases. Hey, it's Dr. Ray. I want to quickly pause this episode to thank you for listening to this Fit Father podcast. I am just blown away at how amazing this podcast has become. I had no idea when I started FFP around 10 years ago that it would grow into such an impactful mission. And I want to let you know that I am so grateful to be connected to you in this lifetime. And on behalf of me and my entire team, we are so grateful to be in your life, helping you get and stay healthier for your family. That's what I want to share. Just some gratitude from my heart to yours. Let's get back to today's episode. And I've heard this description of, of like true prayer as the union of thought, action, and feeling. Like this triune coming together of, of basically it sounds like a center fielder. Like the thinking, I suppose we could crystallize, we can, we can describe as like the vision of what that is, the clarity and the vision of the desired outcome. The feeling is the feeling that we have that it's embodied, that it is an experience, that we have this that it is real, it is happening. And then the action is the moving towards the ball as, but the cool part about that is there is the moving of us, but there's also the ball moving towards us, which is, I guess, like you could say the hand of God that's moving experience towards us in the direction of our thought feeling combination. And then maybe you can say it's all one thing, right? Maybe there's, you know, we are like, it's the ocean moving towards the drop, the drop moving towards the ocean, all knowing that it's one thing. And now we're, I guess we're getting kind of deep and, you know, but of course we're getting deep. This is a deep conversation. It's, it's powerful though. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad it resonates with you and I, and I hope it resonates with people listening. And, you know, when, when we get caught up in, you know, the thoughts, right? The Tao says thoughts weaken the mind because the brain is meant to be an antenna, right? There's 40,000 neurons in the heart and the heart's constantly sending signals to the brain. But what do we do? Well, often what I learned to do, shut those off. And because and, the brain is so convinced of its brilliance. And again, the way that we're raised, right? And if you look at the education system, right? The education system is about being compliant to authority, right? Why? Because we needed people to be able to show up to, to school, learn how to uh, run a, you know, run machines in a factory in, you know, due to the industrial revolution, learn how to not ask questions, know just enough to be satisfied to do a good job and that's it, and uh, then go home. And we haven't upgraded our education system since then. Right, it's all it's all around modeled around, you know. Can you pass a test? Even though that we've got proof, and we, you know, that the Finnish system of tactile learning and actually throwing yourself into it in the imaginative space, well, that's you know far better to learn because then you know uh, what was it Bob Proctor said? If you can hold it in your mind, you can hold it in your hand, mm-hmm. and you know. But we're only taught to to imagine it in in our head long enough to fill up a short term cache, and then purge that in order for the next test that's coming up. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, and uh, what did Einstein say that you don't, you know, there's, there's no learning without remembering. Mm-hmm. If we're not remembering anything, well, what, what good is our learning? And if our learning is based on A, B, C, or D, well, that's not much of a learning because I don't know about you, but when I, when I am faced with, you know, a quandary or some difficult decision, I rarely have the universe, you know, come down with a piece of paper and says, by the way, Joshua, you can go ahead and take decisions A, B, C, or D, right? It's, it's just, it's limitless variables that I can, that I can decide on. And so I, I think that the way that we structure society as well does us a, a, a lot of a disservice. And the more that we can, you know, really just re- relate to our kids, hey, uh, you know, this is a game, right? It's a game to play. Look, you know, I, I get that you you don't necessarily like school. I get that the teacher might, you know, be an authority figure that you don't necessarily, but look, 
you're going to find yourself in, in situations that aren't going to be fun. And you're going to find yourself in a situation where you have to deal with people who you might think is a, you know, is a jerk. But the more that you can deal with that while having the inner certainty that you can deal with that, your life is going to be infinitely better because the, um, the enjoyment in our lives, right, is in direct proportion to the amount of uncertainty that we can comfortably live with. But mm -hmm. that's usually about zero for most people. For sure. And I guess that's because it has its roots in, in fear. And so like, how has your sense of fear changed as you've been on this path? Like, how would you have described yourself maybe when you were a boy or even in the army and on this dimension of fear, either it's intensity, how much it ruled you or specific fears. And how has it changed now that you've done a lot of this inner healing work, um, the fear and uncertainty dimension? So, you know, fear, like as a kid, right? So with all these, you know, ghost stories and stuff, I was terrified of mirrors, right? Not just that, but yeah, this is back in the time where Unsolved Mysteries was creepy AF. And so all sorts of ghost stories. So I thought that the second I walked by a mirror, something's going to pop in and I'm going to freak out. And it's, you know, it's really going to bum me out. So I spent a lot of time huddled under my blankets, right? Because of, you know, with my head under the blankets. And of course that's going to save me. And when I went to Iraq, there was a lot of fear around that. Just so much uncertainty because, you know, there's all this you know, propaganda of, you know, weapons of mass destruction that we found out was all, all a lie. And so, you know, when we tune into things like constant negative news, well, then the only thing it can do is direct us to fear and be afraid, be afraid, be afraid and tune in next time so you can be afraid. And, you know, that can be real rough uh, because there are, there's four basic human needs and those are the need for certainty Right. If I walk into, you know, if I walk into a house or walk into a building, I need to make sure that the floor is not going to fall out from under me or the roof's not going to fall on top of me, mm -hmm. you know, or that I've got, you know, the ability to be able to feed myself, right? Basic levels of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. Well, uncertainty can also be looked at as variety. Mm -hmm. I've got a need for, I can't just eat the same meal over and over and over right. every day for the rest of my life. Sure. It won't go crazy. Well, then there's also the need for significance um, and the need for love and connection. And, you know, these are you know, polar opposites, right? And because we define ourselves by, you know, opposing poles. Mm -hmm. And the more that we feel the need to be significant, well, the more that we actually divorce ourselves from love and connection. Mm -hmm. And the more that we actually are connected, well, the, the less that we feel the need to, to be significant. But the, um, the language of the soul is growth and contribution. And growth, right? You talked about the gym. You know, if you're at the gym, right? Well, there's no growth without challenge. Yeah. Very, very well said. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, the, the paradigm I have now is that when something comes into my life, well, I see it now as a challenge for growth rather than something to be afraid of and, and run from. Because if I run from, well, if the unseen and the non-physical is actually what's directing the physical matter reality, because the physical matter reality is actually a mirror, well, then my fear is going to send that signal that's going to collapse that wave of possibility into you know, a particle uh, reality mm -hmm. that's going to reflect that fear. But if I see it as a challenge and, hey, you know what, I'm ready to, I'm ready to rise to the occasion. Well, all right, well, then I'm sending out a completely new signal to that field. And then lo and behold, you know, synchronicities will happen where people will show up. It's just almost like a video game. Just, you know, somebody to show up to be able to give you that attaboy right when you need it or to, to give you that, that encouragement or to, to help you out, to give you the advice that you actually need you know, to actually help see you through, right? The love and connection that you need, the, the you know, camaraderie, the community. And, you know, so the more that we understand that our feelings are just like a giant projector yeah. projecting out onto that hologram. And, you know, one last point, if I can, just to, um, Please. to, to bring this around. I mean, uh, consider 
the speed of light is about 186,000 miles a second. The speed from our eyes to our, our brain is about 250 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah. So there's going to be an extreme time lag. So it's not just like I, I feel good for a second, all of a sudden it's going to show up, right? If, I, if I'm working out in the gym for one day, well, what happens? Well, I'm probably going to get sore. Yeah. But if I work out for three, four weeks, well, then I'm going to start seeing my body start to transform because that's, mm -hmm. it, it's based on a rule set. Mm -hmm. And based on that rule set, there's only one way in which it can, it can uh, uh, operate and respond. Yeah. As beautifully said, I want to pull out a couple things that I, I heard you, these kind of like more meta mindsets mm -hmm. is one, knowing that we can only really connect the dots looking, looking backward and see, oh, this is why everything is, is the way it is. And it all makes perfect sense. And two, that what you said before is that basically everything you, you perceive is like working towards your greatest good because the roots of all of your pain and your traumas and the stuff you've experienced has been literally a holographic mirror that has collapsed down into actual experience for you to go back through it, to heal it, to reprocess it, and to create, to choose to create new patterns or to keep on experiencing the old ones until it's kind of clear and you've gone through them. So it's like, it's almost like the path is always leading us back home, even if it feels hard because we're always getting the opportunity and it's rooted in our deep feelings and relationships to what's happening in our lives and in how it's all so perfectly connected. You know, I, I will share a personal synchronicity that happened to me just yesterday. I've been on my own version of a deep spiritual path and I, it, it's, it's it very much mirrors yours. And I've been really analyzing a lot about like fear and, and where fear comes from and what I'm still afraid of. I had a moment a, a week ago where we're out here in Arizona in the desert and we are, we're like the home of some kind of like big gnarly bugs. And there was a humongous beetle, like a beetle that's like the size of like, it's on your dinner plate. Like it's the size of the meat and like, <laughs> and, and I, and I was going to try to shoo it out of the garage. Uh, and, but I didn't do a really nice job of doing that. And the beetle, like got up hissed and like got all big. And I was like, Whoa, I had this moment of visceral fear. And, and that stuck with me. And then just yesterday, the beetle came back. It was in the same garage, but this time I'm like, and I was reflecting like, man, I wish I would have handled that better. And like, why was I afraid of that? This time I actually like got on the ground and I like, I just trust it. And I put my hand down and the giant beetle kind of crawled up on my hand and I just walked him out into the desert and deposited him. And I was like, it was why it was so significant to me is I was given in this actual experience of my reality, a second chance at like an interaction with this beautiful beetle. And like when I had the beetle on my arm crawling and I, and I dropped him off, like I just felt the perfection of the complete connection of, of all life forms. And that like my fear was just the layer on top that once dissolved was this beautiful experience of like a man with a beetle in communion and still creating an experience of him being out of the garage. So a minor thing, but like cool that we're always having these when we pay attention to these synchronicities like and they pop up like that should be a big signal to be like wake up what's going on here what's the deeper thing where can you grow and, le and lean into oh that's incredible I, I love that you shared that i mean because what did the beetle do it reflected your sense of fear it did for sure yeah and then when you when you shut up calm and and tranquil what, what did the beetle do he let go of fear happy to crawl on my arm yep yep and then be taken out to somewhere where you know he's not going to be bugging anyone but um <laughs> hilarious but, um, yeah <laughs> yeah. Nice. yeah it's awesome wanna... i'm glad you shared that yeah thank you and i, I want to ask you about 
I want to ask you about how like trauma and emotion is stored in the body and how we can unwind it. You know, I think there's like, it's so fascinating because we have like a top down approach where we could sit on a psychologist's couch and we could maybe talk or like maybe even do some regression or some psychological work to access something that feels like it's in the body, but also in the mind. But at the same time, we know there's so many people doing a lot of these somatic practices, whether it's breath work or hands-on healing or stuff that's actually just getting straight into the body. And then stuff comes up into the mind. There's a burst of crying and people have these profound healings. So it's a two-way street. And maybe we can even say they're the same thing, but they're just access points that we can work with. How... Speak to me about trauma and emotion, how it shows up in the body, and also what things people can start to do or understand to create healing. Even if you don't have an actual frank injury right now, maybe it's just you know your shoulders are always tense or there's some tension pattern that you always have. What can be we more aware of? How can we invite more healing? What are practices that we can do to integrate the body, mind, emotion, spirit connection? Mm, mm, great question. So um, let me start off with it. So hermetic philosophy has this idea of instead of God, they call the all and the all is mind. The universe is mental. Well, our brain certainly seems to create everything, every, everything around us. And, you know, then the reflection is then the, you know, the mentation of that. It's good to look at our brain as this idea of our brain and body as this idea of a centaur as well. And you're familiar with the ancient Greek, you know, mythological creature, the you know, half man, half horse. Yep. And so often people think and act in a manner of, you know, if a centaur wants to run faster, well, they think that they need to whip themselves or put their hands in some boots with some spurs and jab themselves in the groin in order to run faster rather than just will themselves to run faster. Mm-hmm. And when we understand that there, that the brain-body connection is one, right, the body is basically the physical manifestation of the brain, you know, that the outward that we can actually see and interact with. Well, then the, there's a dimension of the mind Right, that's a little bit higher than the body, but but the brain is connected to to the body, mm-hmm. and the mind is actually a creation of the brain. Well, then there's only one place for our thoughts to be deposited. It's going down into the body, it's, so we're we're going from top down, reflected down, and so ultimately this stuff gets literally stored in the most dense, gross physical tissue that we experience as our bodies. Or it can flow through, right? If we're feeling joy and love and the most amazing experience. Right? You'll feel the chills. You'll feel that energy flowing through your body because huh. either way, it's going to flow through your body because yeah. right? it is the densest energetic part of you know who we are. But when we are beating ourselves up, well, then what we're doing is we're taking these energy centers in us, right? People call these chakras. And what happens is well, they start getting clogged up. If they start getting clogged up, right? You get a bunch of flotsam in there or you get you know, uh, you know a, a bunch of things that start preventing that flow. Well, then that, that pressure is still going to be there. And not only is that pressure going to be there, but then again, then what starts getting attracted are all those parasites. Yeah. And then you might even find that if you've got a chronic bad back and you go and get a massage, there's probably emotions and there's probably thoughts that occur to you, mm-hmm. but you probably dismiss them just as fast. Mm-hmm. And if you don't dismiss them and you spend some time thinking about them, they may very well be the key for you to explore in order to release right, that pain. Yeah. Well said. So it's like being very, it all comes back to being very aware of the recurrent patterns and the things that we've we've caused to be stuck. And those can come up as recurrent mind thoughts, but also in the form of bodily tensions. And I think what you're saying is that the insofar as we can trap and get stuck in things, the process is to one, shine light on them so that we become aware. And there's many ways to do that. 
and then to just feel them again, mm. not to shove them back down, but to maybe like understand them just to let them flow through, like just to process the hurt that we walled off at some time because we were trying to protect ourselves or the ego was protecting itself from a thing it didn't understand from a young age or from frankly abuse that the body became contracted because that's the natural withdrawing response to to pain man i'm just like struck by the fact that we're all on this healing journey yeah and maybe that's like the heart of compassion where we can see each other like deeply yeah. is understanding ourselves as the being behind all of that and when i see you i see a soul on a profound healing journey but like everyone listening to this is on their own version of healing journey. It's completely unique to each of us because we are projecting holographically from our own stuff out into the world, but we're also helping each other insofar as we're both mirrors and co-conspirators of this whole connected experience. Yep. Well, and if I can maybe share a gift with people in a way of you know, perhaps approaching some self-healing, you know, especially, uh, you know, wh whether it be in the, in the mind or the body, but again, you know, the body, you're going to find these, these feelings and these emotions, you're going to want to let them go. But I, um, again, reference points, what are reference points for us to play with, right? Because uh, Einstein talked about how, you know, uh, intellect is not computing power, it's imagination. And why? Well, because there's studies now, you know, people like Joe Dispenza have proven this as well, that, you know, when you think about something versus when you actually do that something, you're literally interfacing with the exact same neural pathways and you're actually creating new neural pathways as well. And when I was first learning how to heal myself, right? So, uh, you know, the master healer who taught me, right? That lives by a philosophy that I also live by that you've got no business leading somebody somewhere that you can't lead yourself. Mm -hmm. So learn how to heal yourself first before you start learning how to heal others. And as I was in that self uh, healing uh, portion, I started thinking about deprivation tanks mm -hmm. and, you know, I've watched a lot of Joe Rogan. And so, you know, he's big on those. And so I thought, okay, well, that sounds fun. Uh, so I looked up deprivation tanks here in Salt Lake and found one. And so I'm in there and I'm going through my, my meditations that, that he's taught me that where I can literally physically feel like the energy flowing through me, which blew my mind the first time I, I felt it. Mm -hmm. Well, so now I'm floating in a deprivation tank and uh, you know, as, as I'm floating, I'm feeling more love than I can possibly feel. I'm starting to play and allow my mind to wander. And I start thinking, hey, what's a reference point that I have of a deprivation tank? Well, the TV show Stranger Things, mm -hmm. where, you know, if you're familiar with it, there's a young girl who goes into a deprivation tank. And what does she do? She reaches into a whole new dimension. Well, okay, well, she was magic. Well, here I am exploring what we might call magic, which is just physics on another level. But I understand at this point that I live in a hologram. And this thought comes to, comes to me, right? This intuitive thought comes to me that, you know what you should do now that you're feeling this such beautiful love is to summon the grossest, worst memory of your life. And most people might be like, what, just to rain on my parade? But no, no, not at all. I was like, okay, well, I'm game. Like, I didn't even think about it. Bring it, it like, to the party. Yep, bring it to the party, a party of love. And so what I did, just like a hologram, I just created this memory and there it is playing. And then what I did is I created the little boy who bore witness to that memory. And then I projected myself as I am now. And so this little boy is, you know, six, maybe seven. And my little boy at the time is eight, maybe nine. And so this might be a gift that, that you know, people can, can use is that even though I had a terrible childhood, I've learned how to be better. And I'm able to give love to my son that I didn't understand and that I didn't have myself. Yeah. And when I did that and I projected myself, and I held that little boy's hand, which is me. Well, what I did then is I gave him the same love 
that I have for my son because I didn't know what that was. Mm -hmm. And what I learned is that I could be, I could be my own father. I didn't have to look to somebody else for that external validation. Yeah. I could validate myself. And more than that, then I, I watched that memory from the adult version of me. And as I did and all that love, I just started unhooking from all the emotional, you know, uh, triggers mm -hmm. and just, and then as I did that, and as I brought into this awareness of that, there was no, not only was it not my fault, I let go of the, the guilt, I let go of the shame, I let go of the fear, and then I gave it right back to him. I just felt my body erupt in energy. And then I, I knelt down and I hugged him and embraced him and said, I love you the same way I would to my son. And I, I just started crying. And that was one of the most healing experiences I've ever had. Absolutely beautiful, bro. Truly. I mean, what I love about it is one, you, you really documented like a pretty specific process, which I'll describe as like, you cultivated this, this whole, this temple of love in your being embodied, and then brought in a powerful healing visualization of what you considered the worst, and then went into that and like exchanged that love, healed, recognized, brought yourself in all these different versions into the metaphor. Like it's deep. I'm not going to try to simplify it, but it also sounds like it was pretty intuitive about how you were going through it. And I think anyone can do something like that, but it probably starts even with what we went back to that simple aspect of meditation is even learning the practice of being able to sit or lie down and get yourself to a state where you can be in presence and then start to feel, or at least invite in the loving feelings of your being that are beyond the mental chatter. And obviously you had a lot of practice in doing that to come into this powerful deprivation float tank experience, but that's inspiring. It really is on, on how, what is possible and that healing can happen in such a profound way so quickly. And have I been on my own version of a healing journey? I've, I mean, I've had bursts out crying now more times than I can count, but like every time has been profound. And I feel like that's, that's like a good indicator. If you haven't had a really big burst and cry, not that everyone has to cry to heal, but sometimes at least in my experience, it means something has been brought up that has been so overwhelming in terms of the magnitude of that wave of emotion, because it's coming from somewhere deep and it's profound, or it's just becoming unstuck and it's wanted to be unstuck for so long. So that seems cool. And then the final comment I'll make is it seems to me in all of this, that the seed of every challenge we've had, our quote unquote darkest stuff in this dual life experience has the counter seed of the perfect light balance. Like had you not experienced the kind of depths you did of, of pain that has been led to the exact magnitude on the other side, canceling out with the amount of realization you've been able to have and the love that you now have from that. So if anyone here is listening to this, struggling with something, then you're just experiencing the experience on the dark side of the moon at this time. And the other side still exists and it's for your hero's journey to continue to heal and move into that. And what you can do on the other side is one, feel whole two, gain more wisdom and three, transmit that to others in this collective game, which is exactly what you're doing here, Joshua. So I deeply appreciate you coming on and sharing what you did. And I would love to one, have you comment on anything I shared, but two, also, please do tell us more about like your healing system, your work. And if someone's like interested in this, obviously one hour conversation, the gears are spinning. People are like interested, but if they want to go deeper and to understand what you do, please share about that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I love that you shared some of your own journey, right? I love that 
that people are much more aware of the importance of spirituality and not spirituality that Joshua Cameron says that you should that you should have or spirituality that you know that Anthony Balduzzi should tell you that you should have but the spirituality that you find within yourself and you know and I think um you know maybe one last parable and then I'll I'll answer that question about how people can reach out to me is um you know there's a reason why you know, when you know, Jesus was uh, faced off uh, with you know the Pharisees wanted to murder him straight up and said you know, hey which one of these hey dog right which one of these uh you know, uh, these commandments is the best one for us to follow. Well, the Tao Te Ching has this idea that if you give evil nothing to oppose, it'll go away on its own. Not because it's not there, but because you can step out of the way. Well, what did he say? He said some approximation of, well, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Because if this is a reflective universe where your neighbor is just coming into your field to teach you how you're feeling at that moment, to show what's in your heart, so then that way you can learn those lessons. Because if we are judging, right, and then, you know, judge not lest ye be judged. Let's not judge not lest ye be judged because either of us are going to judge you. Mm-hmm. That's judge not lest ye be judged of the very judgments you're casting upon others. Because as Tony uh, Robbins says, you know, the most powerful, the most powerful thing in the human psyche is to remain consistent with one's identity. And if we're judging others, that literally means we're judging ourselves. And if we're judging ourselves, we're only sinking deeper and deeper and deeper. And we can only be consistent with the way in which we are. And the universe can only give us who we are, not what we want. And um, yeah, if you want to work with me, you know, please, uh, you can reach out to me at freemefrompains.com, right? Pains is plural. And you'll see that there's a link there for a free healing plan. Uh, what we can do is we can talk, get, uh, make sure that, you know, we understand what is the path that you want, right? Because so many people know exactly what they don't want. And you can't go into a train station and say, give me a ticket to not here, please. Right. Uh, well, yeah, I, I have the ability to give you a ticket yeah, anywhere you want to go. Yeah. Not here, please. We're only going to, at, at best, we're going to run around in circles. At worst, right, we're going to manifest exactly what we don't want until we learn the clarity of what we do want. Because again, as you so succinctly put, the universe has given us this information in order for us to learn these lessons. And you know, I truly believe that it doesn't matter you know, what it is. Right. I started manifesting chronic pain in, in my ankles, in, in my shins, in my back because, you know, military, I'm just not really treating myself well, as well as, you know, just the, the chronic fear. And, you know, I felt like I was my own worst enemy. You know, all the stress, I'd, I'd stay up at, you know, all night beating myself up, lose sleep, have like two hours of sleep and have to go into work, you know, completely exhausted and have that be a, a pretty normal thing for me. Right. All this can be a thing of the past. And it really works on belief. And, you know, show up, let's chat, let's build out a healing plan and get you on a place where, you know, perfect health can actually be a natural state. What a beautiful message. And I want to thank you again on behalf of our community, Joshua, for coming on. And I mean, a whirlwind of a conversation, the, the, the many twists and turns that we're able to talk about some very, very deep topics in a still very accessible way. And like this landed home big time for me. So I know that it did for a lot of people listening. So thanks again for coming on. I deeply appreciate this. Hey, my pleasure. And thank you for the space that you hold. I, I love I love what you're doing, right? I'm also a father, you know, over 40. So I'm like your exact demographic as well. And so, uh, you know, I love that I can actually help people because of the lessons I've learned because that's what life about, right? What would I say? The soul, the, the language of the soul is growth and contribution. So thank yeah. you for allowing me to contribute to your audience. Thanks, Joshua.